Welcome, everybody, to Driving to the Baskets, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined as ever by Tommy and Dante. Fellas, what's new, I suppose, Dante? I know you had a rough night uh, watching the Pistons play against the Pacers when you actually had to compliment Corey Joseph. I can't imagine how painful that must have been for you. You know, I, I <laughs> it's always nice when uh, when you just trash a player and they and they prove you wrong immediately. I don't know if I want to say prove me wrong, but he had a great game. You know, he Corey did. had a great game against the Pacers, and it's always nice when a player succeeds, and, and that extends to Frank Jackson too. Stellar performance tonight, um, and that's someone that I was critical of recently as well. So I've determined that the only plausible route forward is to trash every player on the team every single night. <laughs> that's clearly the only, that's the means of success here. It's a radical strategy, but it just might work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tommy, what do you think? 100%. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Take one for the team and just start trashing everybody. Talk about how Cade Cunningham isn't actually <laughs> a good player. And uh, we got oh, the, rookie no. on the rookie of the year lockdown. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. I mean, you never know, I guess. Uh, I'm not going to join you in any case. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's start out with something positive for the evening. Uh, for me, that's that's Hamadou Diallo. So uh, Hami has replaced Josh Jackson in the rotation. Uh, that's nice for two reasons. Number one, I still think pretty highly of Hamadou. And uh, I'm not sure if we discussed his kind of mini blowout with Casey. Did we discuss that in the last episode or the episode before? I can't remember. Yeah, I think we yeah, talked about. We I said a couple of things about how he was screaming at yeah. Casey, but we didn't go in depth with it. We could if we feel it's necessary, but obviously things have changed to the point where he's in the rotation. Now. Yeah, so he's replaced Josh Jackson in the rotation. Uh, you know, I've seen it suggested that this is showcasing him for trade. I don't think that's true uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, if it were true, Dwayne Casey would probably not be shoving him into the right corner and doing nothing with him on offense. Uh, number two, I mean, all Hamadou is doing is showing that this team needs him. He's incredibly athletic on a team that is very unathletic. He's good at dribble penetration on a team that has very little of it. Uh, he's a good rebounder. He's, he's, yeah, I mean, he's been playing well. I've been happy with him. Those of you who are longtime listeners know that I think highly of Hamadou's ceiling. He's been a good defender too. Plus, you know, the two games he's been on rotation. I mean, I've got no complaints. I mean, the guy is super athletic. He stays with people really well. He's got a little bit of work to do on his off-ball awareness, but I've been happy. Also, Josh Jackson being out of the rotation is good too. The guy is just an eyesore. Yeah, I I, I would agree with you, Mike. I think that um, I'm a big fan of Hami too. I, I always have been. And, and I mean, I, I guess that preseason performance sort of weighed a little heavier than any of us thought it was going to. I mean, he didn't look good, but I didn't expect him to fall out of the rotation completely. So that aside, it, it's nice that that's corrected. And I use the term corrected because it was definitely a mistake. I mean, out of Josh, Hami, and, and Frank, I would say that Josh uh, and Frank have been really poor for most of the season. Obviously, Frank Jackson tonight excluded. Um, I never understood why Casey wouldn't turn to Hami sooner. But how much can you really complain when he clearly has? And I also agree with you, too. I don't think that he's expressly playing him for the sake of showcasing him for a trade. I think he's playing him because his hand was sort of forced and some shakeups needed to be made. And at the end of the day, Diallo adds a dimension that nobody else does. He's the best athlete on the team by magnitudes. He adds a level of verticality that really no one else has. And he's super fast. So these are a whole bunch of things that not a whole lot of people in the regular rotation are offering, unfortunately. So even though we lost tonight, um, just barely, I would say that the offense still wasn't great, but it definitely looked better 
with Diallo. So as things stand, I'm what term do I want to use? I, I say satiated. I'm satiated right now. Yeah, I just for context, we're recording a few hours after the end of the Golden State game, uh, which the Pistons lost by a bare amount on a pop out three at the end. So yeah, I've I've just been happy to see him in the rotation. I wish Casey would use him more. I mean, we saw glimpses at the end of last season, but unfortunately, he's not being utilized in that capacity when he's on the floor. Strong on ball attacker has work to do on his shot, without a doubt. Doesn't seem to have done much. There's, I think, there's pretty clearly some uh, there's some maturity issues there. But the guy's got a lot of potential, so I'm I'm real happy to see him in the lineup. And I'm I'm done with Josh Jackson. I mean, who knows? Maybe the guy could abruptly improve, but I don't. I don't see it happening. He's more or less what he was last season with less turnovers, and that's still not a good player. All right, Tommy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't have a ton to say about Hamadou Diallo. Truthfully, I don't. I didn't pay too much attention to him tonight. I what I really want from him is shoot the three uh, and affect the the game that way. Because right now he's still a limited usage role player. And primarily, he needs to be a floor spacer, make things easier for the guys around him. Right now, he's doing some nice things individually, and he's showing talent. But it doesn't matter too much to me if he's not um, playing within the offense and spacing the floor. And I think that takes us on to Frank Jackson, because I actually think he's quietly gotten better over the past like three or four games. And then tonight, he really stepped out and... uh Maybe you could call it a breakout game after this like shooting slump that he's had to start the season, but great performance by him tonight. He took some big shots, rimmed out that last three at the end to tie the game, but overall, very happy with what we've seen from Frank Jackson lately. Uh, I, I think he is really more deserving of the backup two-guard minutes. Oh, yeah. Hamadou would be, uh, I believe he's being played at backup small forward uh, where Josh Jackson was playing. So, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, Frank's done well, definitely. Last five games, actually, uh, up until tonight, uh, his last four, he was shooting about forty-five percent from three and averaging little eleven points. So uh, that number went up tonight. Needless to say, I mean, hand it to the guy; he is a good, quick trigger three-point shooter when he's hitting his shots. Of course, definitely started slow, but some players do. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys, or those of you who've been watching the Pistons for a while, watched Reggie Bullock start slow, like horrendously slow. In uh, in four straight seasons, three or four. Yeah, I forgot about Bullock. Oh man, he was yeah, a, he, he was a horrifically slow starter, like terrible. Yeah, I do remember first, that. Yeah, terrible mm-hmm. in the first few weeks of the season. Yeah, so yeah. who knows? But yeah, quick trigger die, quick trigger guy. Excuse me. Uh, those of you who hear my voice, you can probably tell that I'm just getting over sickness here. So uh, bear with me. But quick trigger, he's kind of sneaky, athletic, and attack the basket a bit. A good jumper. And uh, and definitely works hard. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. If he keeps this oh, up, sure. yeah, if he keeps this up, I'd like to see him moved into the starting lineup in place of Hayes, whom we'll talk about later. Um, but with whom I've just gotten increasingly frustrated. Oh, I'd rather have my little sister in the starting lineup instead of Hayes. So I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that that's a big, that's a bold statement. But as far as who it would be, yeah, I mean, if Frank keeps it up, I, I, I don't see why not. I. You know, I've been out of the three of us, I've been the most critical of Frank. I, I think it's two or three episodes in a row where I've sort of been like, what is going on here? Like, is Frank an NBA player or isn't he? And, and I think that tonight was really important for him. You know, I was I was watching it with a big smile on my face because he was just, man, he was hitting from all over the place. He was finishing at the basket. He was playing good defense. He was jumping passing lanes with more frequency than I think I've ever seen from him. 
um, and really elevating at the rim too, which led to quite a few free throws, if I remember correctly. So just a great performance all around. And the thing with Frank, which I still, you know, despite the performance tonight, I, I have no problem maintaining this. He doesn't have the pedigree to be shooting as poorly as he's been shooting. You know, he owes it, not owes it, but he, he like for his career, he needs to shoot well. He needs to be consistent. He needs to be impactful more often than he's not impactful. And tonight was a good first step towards that, you know, and, and if Frank is playing well and shooting the ball nicely, then everybody benefits from that. And and I think it bears mentioning too, that by, by all accounts, Frank is a really good guy and a really good teammate. There was, I don't know if the two of you guys watched this, but there was a YouTube series. Um, I, it was called something like the Frank, the mountain man or something like that. And it was talking about how Frank lives a very isolated and secluded lifestyle on like a on a mountain in a cabin like that's just what he does and i remember right you up in utah was, in the off season i do remember yeah those. up in utah and i was watching and i was like this is kind of an odd guy but it came across very likable in that so if you haven't seen that i urge you to go watch it just search it up on youtube but yeah when frank is doing good the three of us are happy the team is performing better not good enough to win clearly but better so let's hope he keeps it up yeah, definitely. Um, and so, I mean, if he can hit those threes off, uh, I mean, motion three point shooters is so, is so valuable and you almost kind of have to have one in the starting lineup these days. Uh, it just, it adds so many different, so many offensive options for you. Even just the threat of it can, uh, of just running a guy around the screen can open things up for other players off the ball or even on the ball. So yeah, that would be fantastic. And, uh, of course, you know, another positive continues to be a positive is Cade, who just continues to impress for all that's been said. Well, really all that's been said about him having the clutch gene is absolutely accurate. Uh, he really just does turn it on. It was really disappointing for me that he did not get the ball on the last play tonight. I thought that was too. egregiously me bad. Too. Yep, I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, they, I they no, clearly bad. ran action to get uh, Jeremy Grant open, and he took a – it was – not heavily. It wasn't very well contested. It was a good shot, and they got the offensive rebound. And Frank Jackson, he's the hot hand all all night, and uh, I'm I'm happy with that shot. I, I remember seeing that Cade wasn't headed out to the three point line. He was headed inside, I think, to go for the rebound uh, if there was no, time left. He, no, he, went, he, he was calling for it outside the, the perimeter. Calling for it. Didn't Grant first try a shot under the basket, a two pointer under the basket? I'm pretty yes. sure he did. That's yes, not a good did. shot. I mean. And he, he ran under the basket. Under the basket for yeah, for a layup. And Cade he was clapping it. his hands. We'll have to go back and watch the tape, but Cade was very clearly clapping his hands behind the three point line, yeah. if I remember yeah. correctly. Are you talking about and when they initially brought it over the, when they the timeout? Or no, they, no, 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 they the inbo- they, rebound. No, they inbounded it. Cade inbounded it. Grant took it and immediately went baseline and tried to go for a layup. And uh, <laughs> then we dis- despite the fact, I mean, he was having a, a bad game overall. Yeah, field period yeah. he tried to shoot the three i mean frank jackson was the hot hand grant just completely yeah. looked off of him um kate is the team's best clutch player grant completely looked off of him and yeah. uh you know before we get to grant yeah kate definitely is i think proven largely wrong the concerns about him being able to get into the interior and score at the basket oh yeah oh definitely yeah you know he's does. doing it with body control like the lack of burst has not been an issue at all he's just yeah. as effective mm-hmm. as an athletic player yeah, yep. and uh, I think I think he'll only continue to get better with experience, and uh, and as he gets stronger, of course, generally players get stronger in the off season, and uh, yeah, so it, it's definitely encouraging. He's had uh, a few, you know, three pretty darn good games in a row. He's kept the turnovers low, yeah, and uh, so it, it's it's been fun to watch, without a doubt. Yeah, 
Yeah, and he's sort of in real time developing go-to moves that seem to have a higher rate of working than a higher rate of uh, not working. And those three moves, I'm sure you guys have noticed them. He's got the in-and-out dribble, um, he's got the behind-the-back, and he's got the spin move. And those three moves never fail to impress me when he pulls them out. And every single time he does them, I think, surely this is the time where it gets shut down, and it keeps not happening. He keeps managing to get by his guys with these <laughs> advanced dribble combinations that, quite frankly, are mind-boggling for someone of his age. So you got to wonder, man, if if this is a dude who played forward, you know, front court and was not a ball handler for the vast majority of his life, and he's still able to pull off these dribble moves, what's he going to be capable of at 23, 24, 25? Like, it, this is... We, we keep saying it and don't want to sound like a broken record, but this is just the beginning of Cade. So the fact that he's this good, this fast is better than I thought he was going to be. And I thought he was going to be, you know, pretty darn good. So things are looking up. Yeah. This was what his 10th NBA game. It's crazy to think about. Yeah. 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 He's only like going to get better. Yeah. 10th game, I believe. Yeah. yeah. I think with time, I think Cade is going to be the guy who's trusted to take these shots. I think, Right now, it is just his 10th NBA game, and people really want Cade to be taking these shots, but I think there are a lot of little things that I see that I think are pointing to long-term development. Like, they, they're approaching this season with developmental goals in mind. So, like, one of the things is uh, Killian Hayes is not really... They don't always have Killian or Cade on the floor, and people want that because they want the ball handling of one of those guys on the floor at all times. But I think what they're trying to do... And even though Killian ended up playing significantly fewer minutes than Corey Joseph tonight, I think what they're trying to do with Killian, bringing him and Cade back in at the same time, is they want those two guys to establish chemistry. They're treating them like the long-term fit together. And uh, the more time that they have on the floor together, I think, is is to their benefit. But I'm still not convinced that they're a good yeah. long-term fit. Who are we talking? Um, Cade and Killian? Yeah. Yeah, I think that they've shown absolutely nothing in, in the way of fit. I mean, if, not if a, not I, think, I think that I think that the team is trying, and that makes sense. They want to see what they have, but uh, Killian, again, great teammate, hard worker for the most part. You know, won't risk his body driving into the into the paint. That's a pretty big problem. <laughs> but uh, he's been terrible. I mean, he's he's been a good guard defender for the most part. He got torched by Poole tonight, um, but like he's he's an offensive nothing. Like we've been over it. He can't handle the ball. I mean, as a ball handler, he is a catastrophe. Like actually, like absolutely terrible. Um, you know, at, at at best he takes a bad floater. At worst, he just dribbles away. Um, like his last, I was just looking at his stats. I don't know. It's like his last five or six games, his assist percentage and turnover percentage are are about equal. Uh, you know, assuming Basketball Reference is right about that. Um, but whatever the case, yeah, he. You look at his Toronto game. Sure, ten assists. Most of those in transition, or a lot of those in transition. The rest just through perimeter passes in the half court, and a lot of them are just ticky tack assists. You know, pass the ball to Grant, he holds it and takes a mid range jumper. Pass the ball to Stewart, and he posts. You know, when he's posted up and so on and so forth. Whatever. Um, basically, his only utility off is off the ball for the most part uh, in the half court, and when he's off the ball, all he can do is take spot up threes, and he's a crappy off ball mover. So he's not an effective spacing threat, basically, because the defender knows defenders know that all they need to do is just play him closely at the three-point line. And then if he drives, they just have absolutely no respect for him. <laughs> so he's, he just doesn't, he just basically does nothing. And uh, he adds more, uh, one more unathletic player to an unathletic starting lineup. Mm-hmm. I think he has mm-hmm. a little bit more benefit than that. So this a few days ago, I had a post where I, admittedly, I didn't phrase this very well. 
I said Killian is not a playmaker, and uh, at least not one who generates opportunities. And I got hammered for it. And then I elaborated on it, and people still didn't like it. But I do think that Killian is actually playing a role right now that is maybe best for him, given what he is right now. Uh, because, like you said, Mike, he doesn't That's not actually... saying much, given yeah. what he is right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't generate offense or generate op- uh, offense or opportunities on his own was really like the base of what I was saying, because that's Cade's job and Cade does it very well. And, and Killian if, does it horribly, terribly. Exactly. Bad. If you were if so, I, I asked the question to somebody I was like, would you do you, as another team looking for Killian Hayes to run their offense? And I think the answer should be no, uh, because Killian for what he was billed to be, you know, as a pick and roll point guard, one, we don't really have a good pick and roll center uh, to play him with, but two, like he's just not good at getting into the paint unless somebody else has already broken down the defense a little bit for him. And once that happens, he's a lot more comfortable. Like he will, if the ball is, if he's receiving the ball off of broken down defense, like his defender has sagged off a little bit to help uh, or he's moved around off ball and he gets the ball, then he's a lot more comfortable a lot more comfortable than he is just taking a guy straight up in the half court. So like in transition, he's good because it's a little bit more free flowing Uh, off the catch. He looks good because, you know, he has a little bit more space. And once that happens, he's more comfortable pulling up from three with his feet set or driving inside and kicking it out. he's not a good driver yet, but he's more comfortable doing it. Uh, Or he makes use of his vision with a good perimeter pass, a swing pass or a skip pass. Like this is a better situation for him because I don't believe that he's capable of creating offense on his own. Yeah, there's, I mean, but there's a distinction between better situation and uh, and a situation in which he's a- actually able to be productive. Because right yeah, now, this is not a situation in which he's able to be productive. He's very, yeah. very unproductive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that actually kind of ties into Dante. Like, uh, I know you're not the biggest Corey Joseph fan for all the jokes we make. <laughs> Would you rather have Killian Hayes running the offense, or do you think... It should be Corey Joseph. Like, how would you distribute those mi- those minutes? Yeah, uh, Corey Joseph's a better player. Oh yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Like, I don't know what well, the the thing with Corey, especially when you look at it in terms of Killian, is like, yeah, I may not like Corey. You know, I may not like the fact that he's you know X age, and I feel like he's taking developmental minutes away from whatever. But if the question is purely like in a vacuum, who's better at creating offense and who's a better basketball player? Well. It's undoubtedly Corey Joseph because Corey Joseph is an NBA player and Killian Hayes is not, right? And even when you were talking just now, I was listening as intently as I could, but it got me thinking like when you, for as articulate and as intelligent of a basketball mind as you are, Tommy, you got to really figure out, (laughs) you've got to really, you know, get deep into the weeds when you talk about positives with Killian. Like, and that's what we (laughs) all have to do. We have to really come up with these hyper-specific situations in which he's able to perform to, how did you put it, Mike? There's a difference between, you know, a better situation and a good situation. Well, there's there's a, I mean, there's a good situation for him and then there's a good situation for the team. I mean, he's he's in, exactly. yeah, he's in a situation right now in which he has hardly any responsibility, but that's because he can do very little like he's Mm -hmm. he's good on defense not great i mean he's good he he suffers against more immense quicker more athletic players because he's not quick but and you know he can rack up the fouls too but i mean on offense he's such a non-factor and i think totally agree man a horrendous fit with kate as a result because you're basically playing four and five 
What he? Oh, oh, you stole my line. The next thing I was going to say was when Killian's out there, you're playing four on yeah, five. it's awful. On offense. <laughs> I mean, that's literally, I swear to God, that was the next thing I was going to say because it's, it's true. And this discussion we're having speaks to the broader point of that Killian is just a nothing on offense. And you're never going to field a competent offense when you have a nothing out there playing significant minutes and taking on any kind of a role, whether it's a primary initiator role or not. So to answer your question, Tommy, in a roundabout way, I'd absolutely rather Corey Joseph do it. I would rather my 78-year-old grandmother who does Pilates do it because <laughs> at the very least, she would know not to take crappy floaters. At least I think she would. I haven't talked to her in a while. She's probably mad at me that I haven't called her. But yeah, when I do grandma. call her, how, I'll call my grandma and I'll caution her on the floaters. How, how, how is her floater? <laughs> how, how's my grandma's floater? I don't know. She really just makes uh, risotto and all that stuff. So I haven't tested her one-on-one on, one on the court. You. But I can imagine she's more athletic than Hayes. And she's killed. probably <laughs> the better ball handler. Yeah, I so, wanted Monty Coates. I compromised. Yeah, Monty Coates. Um, so, uh, yeah, a little Sopranos <laughs> reference there. But, oh, yeah. yeah, so, um, yeah, Killian, just as far as his half-court offense, just doesn't just doesn't have it. In transition, he's a decent playmaker, and you can hit the odd catch-and-shoot three. But, yeah, and it just in the half-court, he, he really just does hardly anything. And you can't have Well, right now, they're, yeah. yeah, they're planting him in the corners right now, and I don't think that's – Again, it's given what he is right now. I don't think that's the worst thing for him because he seems more comfortable with that shot. And if he is able to just hit that catch-and-shoot three ball consistently enough to get on the scouting report and draw one defender honestly, at least he's not a net negative. You know, That's really oh, I disagree. what mm, he, I he, think he, he still, still is a net negative. negative. He's still a net negative because even if you hit your open threes at an average rate, you're still a zero. No, no, every no. Other no I don't agree with off. that. The reason I'm saying, you know, if he can hit threes on open threes on volume, then great. The reason I'm saying he's still a net negative is because he's a really crappy off ball mover. He doesn't get open of his own accord. Uh, mm. He's not quick. He's not particularly shifty off the ball. I mean, for the most part, he's just standing still. Uh, oh, that hardly makes make honestly in this offense. I, I mean, maybe that's a little bit of a turning point. But, yeah, but he was like I mean, that like, last. Well, year let's too. let's finish up on Killian, I guess. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's that. I'm just saying, like, like I want to bring up the Lonzo comparison, which is which has been brought up a lot. Um, like Lonzo, number one, he hits uh, he hits his threes on high volume, his catch and shoot threes. Uh, number two, though, he's super fit dependent. I mean, Lonzo succeeds when he plays along a couple of really athletic uh, elite playmakers. Oh, excuse me, not playmakers, uh, elite creators was Ingram and. I think I said this in the last episode. Yeah, it was Ingram and Zion in New Orleans. Now it's DeRozan and um, and Zach Levine. And them being athletic, outweighs his own unathleticness, so to speak. But also just they create the space for him. Like if, and he doesn't need to do anything besides shoot those threes. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, Lonzo Ball would not be like a good fit on this team by any means. Um yeah, so Killian, I mean, we can move on to another player uh, with whom I know we have all been unsatisfied. That's Jeremy Grant. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've just perceived him as he, he just seems kind of listless and much less interested than he was last season. Takes a lot of bad shots. Doesn't work as hard on defense as we're accustomed to seeing him. He has not been a good defender and uh, makes bad decisions and is a black hole. Um, yeah, he's currently averaging about 18 points on pretty poor efficiency. And it just makes a lot of infuriating decisions. Yeah. So I guess you could start that conversation with, <clears throat> pardon me. We've had this, this uh, back and forth, I guess, on what is Jeremy Grant on a championship team? Like what option is he? And it kind of goes back and forth between second and 
third option. I think right now he should be a third option because that one game that he had where he dropped like 30, was it 35 or something? I don't remember what it was. Uh, He was playing, yeah, he was playing a much more, I don't want to say subdued role, but his shot selection was just a lot better. He was playing a lot more within the offense. He's not taking bad shots, not taking a ton of ISOs. I think he took three of them and he was still knocking them down. But right now he just, he's gotten irritatingly predictable on isolations. Like he plants himself at the top of the arc and then he just starts dribbling. And it's like, you know that he's sizing his defender up and he's trying to get the guy leaning and create a little bit of space. And he's going to pull up for like a 19 footer. And it's, it's just infuriating because it's not good offense. And you have Cade Cunningham who can actually create in the half court. Why are you going back to Jeremy Grant ISOs unless it's in the, unless they're just trying to develop him into a star scorer? I just don't see the point of it. And I don't think Jeremy Grant has really proven to be good enough or projects to be good enough uh, to be a guy who you trust to take like the Kevin Durant role. He's just not unstoppable. Yeah. Hardly anybody can make that shot efficient. And Grant, I mean, for the record right now is shooting uh, prior to tonight, he was shooting 32% on his mid range and it's pull up two bonus. That's needless to say, terrible. That's uh, even worse than his 36% from last season. He's attempted already. 75 mid-range shots, even prior to tonight. In 13 games, he'd attempted 75 mid-range shots, and he had converted those Ew. 32% also. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, part of this is because he's playing under a coach. This is Dwayne Casey, who for his entire career as a coach has let his favorite go-to options do whatever they want, uh, except for that one year when Nick Nurse was running the offense. Even then, uh, Casey kind of reverted to it during the postseason. This does not help Jeremy Grant, who really should have his shot selection tailored much more closely. He should be driving to the net, and he should be taking threes. Like These mid-range pull-ups are terrible. And also, he needs to learn to pass the ball off the drive. Yep. He's not doing that yeah. either. Yep. No, he's Sadiq not doing Bay. any of those things. Yeah. yeah. They're just, oh, Sadiq's a whole other thing. Totally yeah. black holes right now on offense, and it's just really, really rough because it's not – a drive and kick and swing offense. It's drive and kick until it gets to one of those two guys. And then it stops. It's just very frustrating. Like, and the off ball movement from pretty much everybody outside of Frank Jackson and Cade Cunningham is awful. Yeah. That was, that was part of the reason why the Warriors uh, look so good out there. And our, our defensive rotations looked as bad as they've been all year. Well, actually I shouldn't say it that way because otherwise I think our defensive rotations have actually been pretty good. Uh, but tonight they were really bad because the Warriors were just slicing us up. I, wow. I, like even Steve Kerr. I mean, he's, he's yeah. Steve Kerr is a great coach, especially on offense. He's a fantastic coach. Yeah, yeah. We shouldn't have. Yeah. We should not have lost that game. No, no, no. It's unacceptable. It really is. Like I don't care if you're in the middle of a rebuild or not. At a certain point, it's like, come on, guys. Like this is the Warriors bench here. We're talking about. Not, not exactly a team known for just depth 1 through 15. So at a certain point, you've got to win these games. And I think I read a tweet uh, that said something like the Pistons brass were expecting a win tonight. So they probably left pissed off. But it's like, uh, I guess just to finish up on Grant, I, I think the two of you put it very, very well. And, and probably what gets me the most with him, what's the most frustrating is what Tommy said. And that's the decision making. You know, he's become incredibly predictable, so much so that it's not even just the long two. He actually does the exact same size up every single time. It's stop me if you guys have heard this. Just dribble up, uh, hesitation, hang dribble, through the legs, through the legs, hang dribble, long two. 
That's what he does every single time. He's got a little like selfish. Much, right, a little bit, yeah. And selfish and predictable makes for a bad combination. You know who else is selfish and predictable? Josh Jackson. And Josh Jackson has found himself out of the rotation. And I'm not suggesting that that's going to happen to Grant because Grant is a much better player than Josh. But I think his optimal role would be hovering between that two and three scoring option on a championship team. If he just plays like he played last year with more of a Denver Nuggets, Jeremy Grant role where he just adds in maybe three or four drives to the net every game. If he does that, I think he could average 20 or close to 20 maybe. on decent efficiency. Maybe, yeah. maybe being the keyword, but decent efficiency, whether it's 17, anywhere between 17 and 20 points, he's being very, very helpful. And I think he can be helpful, but if that decision-making stays as incompetent as it's been, and you know Casey's not going to do anything about it because Casey loves it, then I don't know. You know, I don't know. It's not like I can pull him aside and talk to him. Maybe my Nona can. But other than that, I mean, somebody's got to get it through his head that these long twos are just not working. So in, until that happens, he's going to remain an inefficient negative on offense. Yeah, I mean, I think the question of where he would fall on a good team, uh, I mean, I've said it before, if you want to win a championship, basically in normal circumstances, you got to either have two superstars or a superstar and two pretty darn good or two all-stars. I don't think Jeremy Grant would even be uh, in the latter category. I don't think he'd be, he'd be number three, maybe number three in you know, the two superstar team. It's been asked, you know, wasn't he the third option on the 2020 Nuggets Western Conference team? The answer is no. Uh, Jeremy Grant's role in that offense was to finish offense. That was, was just to finish opportunities created for him by others, the primary creators in that team. Uh, Murray and Jokic in the starting lineup and off the bench, Monte Morris and uh, Michael Porter Jr., who basically out-contributed Grant despite playing like, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 15 West minutes per game. So I, I think, I mean, there are the rumors about, you know, the Pistons having engaged with the Sixers on, you know, trade talks, which I don't really take super seriously. And I don't think the the Sixers would take that package anyway. But uh, just for, you know, the sake of contextualizing Grant, uh, if you went on the Sixers, I think he would be the fourth or fifth option. In that starting lineup, certainly Embiid is ahead of him. Tobias is ahead of him. Tobias is better, better score than Grant. Uh, Seth Curry has been excellent. He's ahead of Grant, and Maxi has been very good. He might be ahead of Grant. So you have you have a, you know a very good team, like not uh, not a powerhouse on you know in which he he might be like the like the three B or the fourth or the fifth option in the starting lineup. Um, you know, I, I just think that contextualizes Grant pretty well. He has potential as a dynamic scorer. Like he has a, he had real talent driving into the paint last year and finishing in difficult situations. Like he doesn't have to be a very limited player. It's just he needs to tailor his perimeter stuff and then attack the basket like he did last season. Like the, the big concern last year was, wow, Jeremy Grant is attacking the rim really hard and he's falling down. Don't get injured. And again, don't get injured. But this season, he's just like, he is settling for the most inefficient form of basketball like that you can play. And it's it's not what we need right now. I don't know if they're just trying a bunch of different things and then they're going to tailor it down the line because it's a developmental year. I know that's frustrating to watch, but we're, what, a fifth of the way through the season? Maybe they just, just want to see what they have, but I don't know. It doesn't look promising, and I hope that they cut it out soon. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't count on it, to be honest, because Dwayne Casey just doesn't do this with his his favorite players 
Uh, he just he, he doesn't really seem to coach shot selection for them at all. He doesn't seem to coach shot selection. I mean, and some of some of his favorite players have been basically role players who get to do whatever they want. He doesn't even coach shot selection for Trey Lyles, who should never be attacking the basket unless he has an open lane. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, in any case, um, you know, we can move on. Uh, we saw it. I say Stewart. What? Oh no, let's talk about Stewart. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about Stewart. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was actually in 1943, so I'd say this is a no-brainer. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, don't worry. DraftKings will not leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. They're giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TPPN, throw down $1 on any NFL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a single point. That's promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, so so Stuart, we saw sustain an injury, which has not... I mean, I, I, I would imagine they they do an MRI tomorrow. And we'll hear more about it then. He was brought back to the bench and made questionable uh, with an ankle injury. If it's bad, highly unlikely that that would have happened, but you might see him out for some sustained period. Uh, it, I really didn't like, I said this last episode, I really didn't like that Weaver did not sign just a half-decent third-string guy who can at least just catch lobs and score in the paint because this team has nothing for center depth right now. Like Trey mm-hmm. Lyles is bad, and, uh, and Garza... Tries his hardest, but you saw again tonight, it's really tough for him to play defense. So, uh, but I mean, we can come back to Stewart. I've been very unimpressed with his overall performance this season. It's been very disappointing. He's just, uh, if you can shoot, he's more palatable right now. It's just, it's like you said, Tommy, last, last episode, that's Cage is looking to lob it to somebody and Stewart just can't do it. Neither can anybody else <laughs> pretty much or hardly anybody. Yeah, the I, I would say probably that. Well, first regarding the injury, it's I'm not a doctor, but it looks like a probably like a grade two ankle sprain. I, I've had so many of those. You guys have no idea. And like when I saw his ankle twist, I just cringed for the guy because those are not long term injuries. Like I wouldn't be surprised if the most that he misses is a game, maybe two games, and he might not even miss any. But when that happens, the the pain is un bearable like like tears in your eyes even if you're a grown man unbearable so I I felt bad for him I I hope he feels better soon because that does suck but as far as his overall play I think I think Casey bears a lot of the blame again and it's not to alleviate Stewart of all responsibility because he certainly hasn't stepped up and we've needed him to but I think when you look at Stewart really it's it's a simple cost-benefit analysis and you look at him and you go okay you're playing him at center because you've got Grant at the four so Stewart is your five He's severely undersized at like six, eight and a half ish. And he's an incredibly poor vertical athlete. You know, those things are all true. So those are the costs of having him on the floor. Those are supposed to be offset by the fact that he is supposed to be developing into an elite defender and the fact that he can space the floor from three and from the mid range. But 
when you're not using him as a floor spacer, like he's probably taken, I don't know, six or seven jump shots all season. What you're really doing is just shoehorning him into that traditional center role. And as we've already established, the traits that make a good traditional center, which is already a dying, you know, archaic archetype to begin with, he doesn't possess them. So when he's not spacing the floor, he's just being forced to be a pretty poor, mediocre center. So I almost wonder if really the only solution to these woes is to fundamentally change his role. And I'm curious to know what the two of you think about that. So just to clarify my stance, I'm not giving up on him as a player, but I think if we're going to see some success again, he needs to be used radically differently. Uh, I I think last season, kind of in retrospect, I mean, we all thought very highly of Stewart last season, just as kind of in is a good defender. I mean, he was, he was developing into a floor spacer, it looked like, but also just sort of an intangibles guy who just made everybody around him better. But in retrospect, I think that some of his deficiencies were hidden by playing off the bench, you know, less minutes, better matchups. And Plumlee isn't a good center. Plumlee can at least play above the rim. He isn't undersized. Guys, I mean, he wasn't, he's not the rim protector Isaiah is, but at least guys weren't scoring over him. Uh, but yeah, it's just once you put Isaiah in the starting lineup and you definitively, he just, he's a below the basket center, uh, whether he's shooting it or not. I mean, there are just things about him that hurts. So, I mean, I'm wondering at this point if he's just a, a career backup, you know, guy who come off the bench and, you know, play 18 minutes at center every night. Uh, for the Pistons and, you know, be the team dad and so on and so forth. And maybe that's the ideal role for him because uh, I just don't see it right now. If he could jump, sure, it'd be different. But if he could jump, he'd gone in the top 10. So it'd be kind of a moot point. Yeah. Uh, but but he can't jump. Uh, he's, he's a below-the-rim player, and that hurts as a center in the NBA. Yeah, they. I feel like it was against the Pacers. They tried to lob it in, and it's it's just easily broken up. Uh, if you want to get the ball to Stewart in a pick and roll, you have to. It has to be like a bounce pass on like a perfectly timed roll, and just in general with the Pistons, like they they still have an established uh, chemistry in terms of like their timing and their handoffs. That'll come with time, but bottom line is that Isaiah Stewart he's just inherently limited by his athletic limitations. Uh, if he if you can ex- have him accept like a high minutes roll off of the bench that's great but in the playoffs typically those roles shrink and when you think about what Cade needs in a center uh, I think you're going to want that guy out there for high minutes I just feel like Isaiah Stewart just might be a little too good for that like I don't know if teams are going to be clamoring for him but I think they'd like him just because he does bring so many positives and I think he still is a good defender Uh, he positions himself very well he typically jumps up straight up and contests well. He alters a lot of shots, and he uh, he does defend pretty well in space. I don't think his pick-and-roll defense is, a, is as good as it was last year, but for the most part, like he's he's able to keep up with faster players. Um, well, I, I feel like I'm just rambling at this point. Like, I, I feel, I'm just thinking about if he is ex- out for an extended period of time, we're going to see Isaiah Stewart's value really quickly, and it's well, going to get ugly because we'll we see. don't have anybody. Yeah, we'll see it because the Pistons don't have anybody to replace him. I mean, another right. thing that struck that struck me in the Pacers game was that when, when Sabonis got the ball down low, I mean, there's just nothing Stewart can do. Sabonis is taller, and his and he, uh, Stewart's yeah, not a good jumper. Hook it in basically, yeah, his his arms are higher than Stewart's, and Stewart can't yeah. do anything about it. And so he just deposited the ball in the basket, and that was that. It was a lot like Rashawn Holmes was doing to him. 
So yeah, I'd, I'd say he's looking more like a backup for me. Um, I know there have been some questions as to, could you move into power forward? I would say nope. The fact that, I mean, this isn't the NBA of like 2014 and, and, uh, and before where basically power forwards were just shorter centers and stretch four was still a term. I mean, now stretch forward, anybody who can't shoot a power forward is either Giannis or a center or out of the league <laughs> for the most part. And uh, Stewart just is not, I would say by no means, I mean, you'd have to be able to shoot obviously in that role, but even in that case, he's not ideal because you're taking him out. I guess you could play him as the center on defense, but on offense, you're basically, he's just not quick enough to do anything. Um, yeah. He's not, he's not an ideal, he's, he's not quick enough to be a good off ball mover. He's not an ideal role man. So basically in today's NBA, he's an undersized center. It's just what it is. So if the idea is Isaiah Stewart is not the long-term fit next to Cade Cunningham, I, I, I've been thinking about this recently. What is in your mind? Like if you could pick like a player or an archetype or a type of center who would be good, or if you could like design this player, who would it be? Because I have one question pertaining to what that player would be, but I want to hear like build a center who that fits next to Cade and maximizes him. What does that player look like? He looks an awful lot like Christian Wood <laughs> to me. I mean, Tommy, I think you're the one who said this last episode. Like, attitude aside, man, I, I couldn't think of a better fit with Cade than Christian Wood. Like, here's a guy who super, super tall, super, super bouncy, super, super cerebral, can space the floor at a high level. The problem um, with Christian Wood getting... is just the defense. Otherwise, yeah, offensively, he's a decent fit, but defensively, yeah. he's just not Wood, good. Wood wasn't yeah. terrible with the Pistons on defense. He was a pretty average I defender. I didn't think he was terrible but, either. Yeah. Um, with the Rockets, he's been bad, like straight up bad. Yeah, I, I wonder how much of that can be attributed to team defense as a whole, but I agree. He's certainly not an elite defender. I thought he was good enough. I agree with Mike. I thought he was decent enough with the Pistons. Not outright terrible, but if I could build a center to custom fit next to Cade, he would look an awful lot like Christian Wood. That's what I'm saying. So I don't know. Maybe the DeAndre Ayton thing is worth revisiting in the offseason. Yeah. I don't know. I'd probably rather. I was thinking of Ayton. Like, yeah, yeah I, 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 don't, I don't know about Ayton, man. Ayton, I mean, he's a strong. Well, here's the issue with Ayton. I mean, you're going to have to pay him. Uh, and he's just not that good. I mean, he's, he's not an elite defender by any means. He's not a floor spacer. He has very limited offensive agency. He, he's averaging like 14 points a game, if I remember correctly. I mean, he's just. He can catch lobs and he can run in the pick and roll. You can get a player from much cheaper than that. Wasn't uh, he working but, on mid-range? Uh, a little bit. I don't think he's been shooting from mid-range. In any case, three-point shooting is going to be a lot more important than that. Well, that so, was actually my question. Would you rather um, this guy shoot threes or mid-range? Because I want guy like if it's a center, threes, uh, I, I want the spacing. I would say I, well, threes. Yes. Well, I Without want the spacing, doubt, but I also want this guy to not – uh, give up a ton of position on the interior because I think like a guy like Stewart or a, like a big man, like a lot of their value comes from being able to hang out near the rim. If you well, can, if you can true. still, if you can space out, if you can space out far enough that you're still not clogging the paint, you're still like if if you're on one side and you create and by moving away, you're still enough of a threat, like from mid range that guys have to play you close. You can still open up one side of the floor can, for driving but- lanes. But I mean, yes, it's a and delicate no. balance. It, you're, you're opening up much less space than you would otherwise than you would if you were able right, to space but, the three point line. I mean, you're much right, less but, space. Yeah, but the balance is now you have somebody who's going to be able to crash the boards more effectively. Like if Isaiah Stewart was purely on the perimeter, like so much of his utility would be gone. 
Uh, I, that's why yeah. I would rather have him learn to I shoot mid range. Yeah, I don't know about that either. I, I think you're just getting so much space. You're getting an additional three point shooter. I mean, yeah. this this is why you see centers shooting threes and not focusing on mid range because that's what the, I'm yeah, the three point shot is just is a super valuable it's shot to have. Valuable. It spaces the floor additionally, and the center can run in. I mean, when the shot is taken, the center has enough time to run in and crash the boards. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but usually, yeah, but, I mean, but, just by nature of offensive layouts, like you're gonna you have your center crashing the boards, but yeah, not all. You have I mean, five opposing players kind of going in for the team. I rebound. get you. A lot of players, a lot of. I mean, your center doesn't have to be there at that point. He does not have to be spotted up at the three point line in that situation. Maybe he's, he's in the paint already, but you see that a lot of teams go with the just get back in transition model. I mean, mm-hmm. crashing the boards is not a big thing in the NBA anymore. I mean, uh, yeah. it, it's basically who's there. But if I were to say, I mean, even somebody like Rashawn Holmes or Jared Allen uh, would do fine. Obviously, you want a guy who can shoot too, but I mean, if you don't want to pay an enormous amount for for a center, I mean, a guy like yeah, like Allen or Holmes who can defend the rim uh, and is strong in the pick and roll and can catch lobs. There you go. I mean, I think that's good enough. It's not everything you want, but it's good enough. Uh, and yeah, so I, I think that would do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do we um, do we want to move on to Bay now? I know we wanted to touch on him. Yeah. Yeah, he's been okay. he's been horrifically bad, and uh, yep. I know that there's nothing to lose by running him uh, on this offensive experiment. But I feel like he's just being asked to do things that cater to all of his weaknesses. Bay has potential as a good player in the NBA. Three and D can be a good three and D player. That's good enough. Uh, the reason that he was able to be drafted at number nineteen is that he is in the lower echelons in the league in every athletic capacity outside of strength. He has very little burst. Couldn't beat guys in the NCAA even reliably. Uh, he has, is not agile. Uh, he has very little in the way of leaping ability, uh, especially off the drive. Uh, off the ball, he can do a decent job of it, but off the drive, no. Uh, his handle is bad. And uh, he just doesn't really seem to have the mental ability to adjust off the drive. So I, I would be much more, uh, I think it would make much more sense if the Pistons were encouraging him to attack in niche situations uh and in ways that cater to his strengths but yeah. right yeah right now he's just he's just awful i mean he mm-hmm. he'll charge into the to charge toward the rim he's really slow so uh opponents have about a billion years to adjust and he ends up <laughs> taking like uh, a, a, a below the rim layup through double or triple coverage at the rim uh and he'll get stopped and turn and take a really crappy jumper uh, spin around jumper when he's posted up or he'll just stop and take a mid-range pull up and very few guys can make that deficient and he becomes a black hole he doesn't pass and i, I think that's less because uh he's been told not to more just that he doesn't have that sort of that, that sort of reactive decision making i mean listen if the experiment has failed the experiment has failed like i've been the biggest city bay champion fan out of the three of us for like the longest time since he's been drafted but if it's not working, it's not working. And and Mike, I completely agree with you. Maybe we don't necessarily agree on what his ceiling could be, but him being a big, strong, good defending three and D player on decent volume is more than good enough. That's a valuable player on any team in the NBA. Someone who can for sure get, you know, a decent amount of rotation minutes, no matter what the situation is. So, I mean, I guess keep trying it if you're absolutely insistent that this could be something because it doesn't look like the Pistons are bound for much success this season anyways. But at a certain point, and I, it, I suppose it's not up to me to determine when that point is, 
But I do think at a certain point, if it's not working, it's not working. And there's no shame in just, you know, hanging up your hat and being like, okay, we tried and it didn't work, but you can still be a valuable player. So at this point, yeah, he's become a bit of a black hole. I'd say the vast majority of the shots that he's attempting when they're not catching shoot threes are bad ones. And he's hurting the offense. And, and as much as it pains me to say that, you know, it is the reality of the situation. So at this point, I don't think it hurts to admit that maybe the experiment is over. Uh, for how much longer they're going to keep this experiment going, I don't know. But if it keeps returning these results, I can't imagine it's, you know, for a very long time to come here. I think it might be winding down towards its conclusion. Yeah, I see a couple issues with Sadiq Bay right now. Primarily, one, he doesn't look to pass. I agree with you, Mike. And when he gets all the way to the hoop, I think he just wants to put it up. Like, But he's getting mobbed by like three to four guys, and he's still looking to like just push back against all this contact and uh, put a shot up. I don't think he's comfortable kicking out yet, and at least not in those situations. And that's disappointing because to start the season, I, I thought he had shown a, a little bit of acumen for kicking out, and that was encouraging, but I don't know where that went. And then I feel like he's hesitating on a lot of shots on the perimeter. I, don't, I feel like this stretch of poor shooting that he's had is really taking a toll on him uh, in in terms of his confidence. And I really don't want him to go down that road. So I just hope that he just, I don't know if they have to tailor a shot selection or, or, or run more action for him. So he gets more, you know, open threes, do something, but like, don't let him get into like a bunch of, don't let this string of bad shooting nights continue. Uh, help him out, I guess. Cause Sadiq Bay could be such a valuable player. Uh, the low usage, uh, Catch and shoot three point guy who's, you know, playing good defense. That's an incredibly valuable player. That's a good fit next to Cade Cunningham. You need that guy, and that's yeah. really what it's. That's that's really what you need from him. And uh, it's, I, I'm not upset that they tried this out with him. They tried to expand his role because we did learn a little bit about him, and uh, I think there is some usable stuff within this massive experiment, but it would be on low volume and it would be in like yeah. key Niche. Like very. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Niche situations. That's a good yeah. way of putting it. You can you can take the ball to the outside fairly well against uh, smaller players. You can do a decent job of that. Throw along the baseline, um, and maybe you can attack some closeouts. Though he'd better one to pass on those. But I mean, what we talked about before the season, and what I really, 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 really would much prefer uh, them to have had him work on was motion threes, um, because that's a very useful skill. And yeah, like you said, a guy, a good three and D player is, it's a valuable player. Uh, when he's not f- trying to force stuff in the interior, he makes good decisions. Uh, but instead of having him work on that very important skill, they decided they were going to try to make him a battering ram uh, in a situation that, like I said, caters to all of his weaknesses. Um, yeah. His attempts at the rim are particularly ugly um, because those aren't good shots for anyone. Pretty much everything he's trying off the dribble is not a good shot for, for this is not a good shot for really hardly anybody at all. So I'd like to see it stop. Take him, just take him to the perimeter, have him work on the niche stuff, uh, you know, where he gets mismatches uh, and, and have him work on motion threes um, because his role off the ball too has changed. He's not like moving off the ball to find open threes. He's basically just standing there so he can get the ball and try to drive into the interior and you have two black holes in the starting lineup and that's a terrible thing. Um, yeah, right now, after tonight's game, he's stuck at 46% true shooting, which is horrifically bad. So this is not working. And I, I, and it'd be a different story if I thought that there was anything to it, but I don't think there's anything there. 
I really wish that they would emphasize moving the or moving players on the perimeter, especially playing the Warriors tonight. Like that was just it, it was probably the biggest difference in the play styles. Like the Warriors move so well off ball, and this is again like their bench and half their third stringers. This is not their world beating lineup, and they still just move better than us trying our best. That's been oh, incredibly frustrating. Yeah, welcome to Dwayne Casey. We all know this. I mean, we're not going to spend time talking about Dwayne Casey here. <laughs> the Dwayne Casey experience. Yeah, we've we've yeah, already diary, oh yeah. We've already in this podcast uh, over the you know over the years spent more than enough time talking about Dwayne Casey. You can sum it up. You know, mm-hmm. liked by his players, good in the locker room, good with young players, uh, capable defensive coach, poor offensive coach, unimaginative, rigid, yep. uh, just way too attached to his system, very poor at, at getting uh, the most out of his players. And uh, yeah, off ball. I think the guy, for the most part, is allergic to off ball screens, and off ball movement is minimal. Uh, not a good offensive coach. And honestly, tonight it was just like, please, we suffered under Stan Van Gundy's horrible coaching, and then moved on to Casey, whom I didn't want because uh, he's not as bad at Van Gundy by any means, but he is a pretty poor offensive coach himself. Not as bad, but poor. So, and, and watching Steve Kerr, who's a genius on offense. Yeah. All right. We're ready to move on to the user-submitted questions. Yep. We mm-hmm. actually kind of already answered a couple of them, but I'll still read them. Uh, one of them was, what's wrong with base scoring? Uh, his shot selection, I guess. We just went over that. And then, is Jeremy Grant checked out? I, I think it would just, just to rehash it, uh, I don't think he's checked out, but his shot selection is quite poor, and he's not attacking the paint like he did last season that made him so effective and versatile. Uh, there's another one. Uh, this one I think is a really good question. Uh, do we need to trade for a big in short order? Dante, I know that I know what your answer is. My answer is yes. <laughs> My uh-huh. answer is yes. I mean, as much as I like Garza, and I think I'm a bit more bullish on you know, I th- I I really do believe, given the proper development and, and given the proper coaching, he could maybe eventually sorta kinda have a place in the NBA, maybe. Um, that time and place is certainly not right now. I mean, for every open three that he hits, he also gives up probably 15 points on the defensive end, so he's not the answer. Um, Olenek's out for an extended period of time, and Stewart now, I mean, the ankle injury I don't think is going to keep him out long-term, like I said, but the more you sprain your ankle like that, the more likely you are to sprain it again. It's a scientific fact. This is something that Steph Curry's dealt with his entire career, and I'm, I'm not making a one-for-one one comparison, but in the interest of having, uh, how, did, how do you always put it, Mike, uh, a competent backup center option, a viable backup center option? Mm-hmm. In the interest of that, you know, why not go grab somebody? I mean, I feel like there's got to be 2,000 Eric Morelands just sitting around. Oh, Eric Morland sucked. Like, Eric Morland was like, suck, a, but he was there's lots of zero. guys. Yeah, but there's lots of guys like him who can at the very least catch a lob and maybe grab a rebound and play above the rim some. Um, so much so that Cade doesn't have to rely on low percentage bounce passes to his centers. He can maybe throw the ball up like Tommy keeps pointing out that he wants to do, which I absolutely agree with. So Marvin Bagley is an interesting one. Mm, um, I disagree. You don't like him? I like Bagley. Bagley, I like Bagley, Bagley is a catastrophe. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care about the defense, man. Like just you give me some entertaining basketball. Marvin Bagley, we also saw, I mean, they gave him some time in the game, uh, in the Sacramento game. He was terrible. The guy is just kind of dumb as far as I can tell. I mean, I hate to put it mm. that way, but he just did not seem like the brightest bulb on the court. And on defense, he is horrifically bad. You will care. Yeah. 
I mean, you will care. I guarantee it. When he goes out in the court, and you try to play him at center, and he is. Yeah, absolutely- I mean, he. I feel like he would be our third string center. Like once Kelly Olynyk and Isaiah Stewart. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we can. Can't be worse than who? Luca on defense. Uh, yeah, but be. I mean, what's that? I mean, Luca is really, really at a disadvantage to begin with. Luca's issue. <laughs> I mean, sure, his IQ, his defensive IQ isn't great, but his issue is mobility. Bagley's issue is that his defensive IQ is hideously bad. Yeah. I mean, honestly. Can I just say, playing Luca Garza against Jared Allen, that was just mean. I, I don't know what they should have done instead. That was that was that was tough. I mean, give 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 credit to Luca. I mean, he, he, he oh let himself be I felt so bad. Yeah. I felt so that bad saying that. The, the question we is, the episode of that was just mean. That is so funny. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: who do you who do you trade for a backup center at this point? I mean, the Pistons aren't flush I don't with know. assets. I don't yeah, know. Pistons I don't aren't know. flush like, with assets. You don't have a ton. It's so way. hard to predict trades because I feel like every Man. every time we trade for somebody, it's like the most like random name ever. It's so yeah. because everybody focuses on the big names or like the the guys who are like talked about within the narratives, and then these execs who are paid millions to like actually yeah. think about every option. They they actually find somebody who's viable and uh, who's who nobody else is talking about. I, I suppose so, but the Pistons would need to trade somebody to start out with, um, mm. somebody with enough salary, and uh, maybe something in the way of assets. You can't just trade for Bagley. He's got a significant salary. You've got to match salaries there somehow. If you send maybe out two players, you gotta take, you got to take two in return. It would be a little bit tricky, but Marvin Bagley, just the fact that he can jump is not going to make him a viable guy. Why trade assets for him? Um I mean, yeah. I wouldn't He's be surprised if the Bagley trade. I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire, and we've been hearing about it for quite a bit. So whether the fit is ideal or not, whether he's high IQ or not, post uh, when are those trades available? Those December, trades available December 15th. December 15th. December 15th. I don't think it's all that crazy to think that Bagley could end up a piston for better or worse. And yeah, Tommy, totally agree with you, man. Like who saw Blake Griffin to Detroit? Like nobody was talking about that. (laughs) You know why nobody was talking about that? Because it was was ludicrous. Because it was horrendously (laughs) stupid. I mean, it made no sense at all. That's why nobody was talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I also think people don't talk about a lot of the trades that happen because yeah, there's executives who are paid millions of dollars to just sit there and, and think about these trades. So I, feel like something might happen. Um, I'm not comfortable predicting what exactly that might be, but the current center situation is bad. I don't think yeah. Pistons like, care. Got to do something. Yeah, where's Dante Hall at? I've always liked him. Yeah, I don't, I don't, he, he, he was good in the G League, like many players is good in the G League and couldn't make it in the NBA. But I was going to say downtown. Win- he, Dante Hall came to Windsor to party downtown quite a few times. Yeah. I saw people I know posting him on their Snapchat. He was at like clubs downtown in Windsor. Yeah, so, um, no, so I would I'll say look for him. I would say the Pistons probably don't care enough right now to make a trade for a center, um, just just for the sake of filling that hole. It just it is what it is with the season, which is about development. That brings us to our last question, which is uh, that we knew the Pistons would be bad, but are they developing? Uh, I don't think the environment for development right now is ideal. The roster mm-hmm. is flawed, but also the starting lineup is a tire fire. Um, you got to get Hayes out of there and put somebody else in who can actually contribute. Right now, it's an unathletic starting lineup that isn't moving and can't jump. Um, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> like it sounds simple, but it's like the truth. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like just not athletic and yeah, nobody can jump. It's and and Weaver really constructed a very unathletic lineup altogether. He did, um, he did. which is which is not good. I mean, no, that, that was a flub on his part. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't so, think this is what they meant when they said no fly zone. Yeah, so. <laughs> 
I mean, uh, the, the way that's the way that Bay, I don't think is developing at all because they're using him in a, they're, they're catering to his weaknesses. Um, Grant is what he is. Hayes is doing nothing. Um, Cade, we can count on to improve Stewart. Who knows what's happening? Um, I don't think the development outside of Cade has really been there. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. that was what I was going to say. I, I choose to focus on the good and I just watch Cade for like the 30 something minutes that he's out there and he just makes me so happy. My goodness, he's so smart. <laughs> His IQ you is just fantastic. Like you're in love. You sound like I kind you're in of love am. with the guy. Yeah. I kind of am. I hope, he, I, I hope he's here for a long time, and then I hope he's like a coach because I feel like he's already smart I enough to do that. Coach. Yeah, yeah, me too, man. Yeah, I just, hope he's sticking around. I, like be yeah. the Udonis Haslam until you're like 43 and just like teach the Pistons of like who are like currently in diapers about winning culture after we w- win our next like three rings. So Yeah. I mean, yeah, to be I, fair, I choose to focus maybe, on Cade. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, maybe we can end the episode on this. I, I think I was thinking about this the other day. I think unretiring Chuck Daly's number sort of speaks to the fact that he's like kind of committed long term. Like, I don't think he's just going to jet. I really don't. I think Cade is here for the long haul. And my, I couldn't have put it better than Mike put it. Not an ideal situation for development at all. This starting lineup is a tire fire. The bench is a disaster. Everything sucks. But Cade is so good that he's just developing independent. Uh, of all those factors anyways. So, I mean, is are we developing? Not really, but one player is, and he just so happens to be the most important player. So uh, we're okay. We're doing all right. Not ideal. Could be better, but, you know, could be worse too. So other than that, I mean, do we have anything else to add or are we good to wrap up? I wish they would give more emphasis to Hamadou for whatever that may, might be worth because he's he's got good potential. But um but Dwayne Casey likes to stick with a certain rotation and yada, yada, yada. Let's not get into that. But I, I wish they were giving him more emphasis um, because he, he does probably, and I'll maintain it as probably like the second highest ceiling in the team after Cade. Um, all right. So uh, that'll be a wrap for this episode. As ever, folks, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.